This morning's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 10 through to 28. Got the right one from the NIV version. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? He doesn't hold back. You banana head. Don't <laughs> Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still, still so dull, Jesus asked. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth, come, goes into the stomach, and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating when, with unwashed hands does not defile them. Next page. The faith of a Canaanite woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James. We're continuing on in our little series on vacation verses, looking at just some actual, if you might have noticed, some different passages in Matthew and uh, looking at some of the, the great lessons that they share with us. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into this passage and look at it a bit more. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that um, it uh, cries out to us from across the, uh, the ages, Lord. Thousands of years ago, um, conversations were had um, and words were said, Lord, that still impact who we are today as your people. Lord, I pray that you might just bless us as we come before your word now, Lord. You might open our hearts and our minds, Lord, preparing us to hear what you have to say to us Lord, wherever we are at with you this week, Lord, we just pray that you might have a word that speaks to us. Lord, I pray you might help me to speak truthfully and clearly of your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Checking if I've got the power, Matt. Well, we might need to give it to me. Um, we have been looking at some different verses, and this week is an interesting one. Thank you very much. Uh, where we have these two different interactions with Jesus. One around this idea of being spiritually clean and then immediately after that, this interaction that Jesus has with the Canaanite woman that at first might seem like two separate things but are in fact very much connected together. 
starts with a question of what is clean and what is not. Now, for many people, the question of what is clean and what is not um, varies very much depending on whom it is you are talking to at the time, isn't it? Like um, sometimes Amy says to me, oh, uh, we need to clean the kitchen. And I go, oh, it is clean. And she's like, no, no, it's not. Like, really? Oh, okay, I thought it was clean. Um, you know, and when it comes to our boys and us, wow, there's a real difference between what is clean and what is not, isn't it? The amount of times we've said, don't eat that, as they pick something up off the shopping floor, you know, the shopping centre. You're like, don't put that in your mouth. You just picked the other day. Um, Freddie was at a party and he was jumping in the jumping castle, and uh, someone had spilt Smarties all over the place. And I'm literally wrestling him. You don't like 15 different kids' feet have been jumping on these Smarties. Do not put those in your mouth. But what is clean for one is not always clean for the other. You know, some people's pantry looks like this, and some people's pantry looks like this, right? You know, they're just two different kinds of clean pantry. Um, some people's garage kind of looks like an, an F1 racing team's pit lane, and others kind of look like ground zero. You know, it's, that's just how it is. What, what is clean to one is not always clean to the other. One person's clean is another person's filthy. And the reason I bring all this up is because this passage we've just read starts with a question about what is clean and what is not. Let's jump back to the, to the start of the passage. Um, Jesus talking to the Pharisees and they have this interaction. And as always, the Pharisees are looking for reasons and ways to discredit Jesus and to make life a bit tricky for him. Um, and this is their attempt this time in chapter 15. It starts with this in verse 1 that we didn't, we, we didn't read. We started at verse 10. Uh, in verse 1 it says, um, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this isn't like a, they don't wash their hands, kind of like your mum says, go wash your hands, kind of wash your hands, right? It's not about germs. It's not about cleanliness. The hand washing they're talking about is being ritually clean, is going through the ceremonial washings before a meal. And what they're really accusing Jesus and the disciples of isn't being unclean. It's being um, ungodly. It's a question of their, their spiritual cleanliness. They're like, you don't perform these rituals, these rites, which you know that a good Jew, a good follower of God should do. And then the discussion that he has about what is clean and what is not clean, that comes from this. And then straight after that discussion that he has with the Pharisees about what is clean and what is not, you know, what comes out of your body is what makes you clean or not, not what goes in. Um, he has another confrontation, this time not with the powers that be, not with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the elders, but with a Canaanite woman, the complete opposite end of the social spectrum. The Canaanite woman is begging Jesus for help, but none of them want to give it to her. Jesus ignores her. The disciples say, send her away. She's harassing us. Tell her to go. Because, of course, the Canaanites are the remnant people that were first in the promised land before Joshua and the conquest came and took the promised land from them. So that was 1,300 years before this incident, like a long, long time. The Canaanite people were thought of and known as the terrible, wicked, immoral people that used to inhabit the promised land. 
So not only is she a Canaanite woman, she's, she's a woman, she's a beggar, um, she's from this, this defeated, immoral people. She is kind of the epitome of what unclean looks like. There it is, right in front of you. And you have the juxtaposition of these two confrontations Jesus has with the Pharisees talking to him about what is clean and what is not clean, immediately next to the Canaanite woman whom everyone knows because of who she is and where she's from and what she does. She is not clean. But of course, the question is that Jesus presents to them who he really is clean, who he really is right with God and who is not. Um, he answers uh, the Canaanite woman in verses 24. I'm going to skip backwards and forwards a little bit. He says to her in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus says to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And at that moment, uh, her daughter was healed at that moment. So you have this woman, this Canaanite woman, the one for whom all who were there that day knew was the epitome of uncleanliness, ungodliness. She is the one at the end of the day with which Jesus um, declares she is the one of great faith. Um, what is it in, in her interactions that leads him to this conclusion? Well, in, in that little bit that we have with her interacting with Jesus, we can, we can um, take a whole bunch of things which uh, we can see about what she believes uh, in, in Jesus from the things that she was saying. She, she recognises his identity, calls him the son of David. She recognises his authority calls him Lord. She recognises her own undeserving status before him. She asks for mercy. She recognises her dependence on him. And she recognises that Jesus can help whomever he wants. Even a Canaanite dog, such as herself. In these two events, what we see is Jesus radically changing the assumptions of what is clean, who is clean, and who is not. Right? The Canaanite woman, the embodiment of dirt and filth from a, defeated from a defeated people who has never actually probably done a ritual cleaning in her life. And these Pharisees, these scriptures, the scribes, the leaders of the Jewish faith who know the law back to front, who perform all the rituals, who do all the stuff, whom is really clean. And of course, he, he proclaims not in words, um, but in his actions towards them, that the woman is the clean one and the Pharisees are not. Because what makes us clean, what makes us right with God is not the outward rituals, but it's the cleansing of a person's heart. Have a look at verse 17. Jesus says, uh, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes out through the stomach and then out of the body? These things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. These defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. 
but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's not the ritual that makes you clean or not, but it's a changed heart that makes you clean. You can fast, you can tithe, you can do all of the ritual cleanings that you want, but that's not what's going to make you right with God. That's not what is going to make you spiritually clean. That's not going to, what is going to bring you closer to God. But godliness comes from a changed heart. A heart filled with the love and compassion of God. And that changed heart will overflow through actions and words. Through what you do and how you treat those around you. You know, um, James in his book, he, he knows this um, very well. And he talks about it in the first chapter in James um, 126, you probably heard it before. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. What James is saying is what comes out of you, that's what's more important, right? The, the, the truth of your, your tongue, your words, the way you interact with people, that will betray the truth of your heart one way or another. You might look like the perfect Christian in all of the ways, right? Um, you, you might have the outward appearance of being a godly, faithful person, but yet the truth comes in sometimes what we say and what we do, the truth of our heart. Um, years ago, I think it was Amy read this book and I just heard about a lot of it. It was called My Life Among the Serial Killers and it was written by this woman who um, was like a, a, a psychiatrist, psychologist, and she worked interviewing people who had been captured for serial killing, for multiple murders. And she would interview these people to kind of get a bit of a profile to understand their thinking and this kind of stuff. Uh, interesting book. That's why she calls it her life among the serial killers because she spent so much time with these guys. And she would interview them for like four hours straight, like the hours and hours and hours. Because, you know, often is the case, the people who are serial killers are quite like um, slick. You know, they're, they're, they're very manipulative. They can be charismatic. Um, but after a while, that guard will slip. And they can hold it up for an hour. They can hold it up for two hours. But after the third hour, after the fourth hour, then the truth starts coming out. So she would talk to them and talk to them and talk to them and talk to them and ask them questions and questions and get them to tell them these stories and stories and stories. Because eventually, the truth of what they were saying would, would, would reveal the darkness that lived in their hearts. And there's that great saying, isn't there? By your fruit, you will be known. What makes you clean, what makes you right with God isn't about the outward signs, it's about this inward reality. It's about the things that you do, the things that you say, and the reality of your heart. Being a, a, a great person of faith, a great Christian, isn't about um, you know, serving at the soup kitchen or how much you tithe or how often you go to church or whether you've been to Bible college or if you've you know, been baptised as an adult or if it was full immersion or if it wasn't full immersion or if you've been on a mission trip or if you've been a treasurer in the church. None of that stuff equates being right with God. What you need to be right with God is to have the faith of the Canaanite woman who had no outward appearance of being right with God at all. In fact, the opposite. In fact, to look at her, you would think, oh, she is everything that's wrong with the world. You know, she's, she's the one who's going to be the furthest away from God, to look at her outwardly. But yet, she is the one that has a faith there 
that is unlike any of the others that Jesus is talking to. A repentant heart that proclaims Christ as Lord and seeks to have a relationship with God. Uh, years ago, I was having a family dinner. I might have told you this story before. Um, and my, uh, it was my, my family, my side, and um, we were just sharing. And somehow, I don't know how, my dad kind of started talking about his testimony, which is not like him. Um, and anyway, he was telling, telling us his testimony, and he was saying how you know, he was away on this church um, retreat, like a, like, a, like a church camp. And um, as, as the speaker was, was talking and as the sessions were going on, he kind of had this reality, this realisation of what the gospel really meant. Right. He kind of had this realisation of the truth of the gospel for him in his heart. And that, he said, was the first time I ever really prayed, this prayer of repentance. I'm listening to it and I'm like, hang on, when was that? Like, how old? I'm trying to do the count back. I'm like, how old are you at the time? Because like, I'm like, you saying you only became a Christian like in your mid-40s? Because my whole life he'd been like the church treasurer and on the church property committee. And we'd been there every single Sunday of my, my, my living life. And I couldn't remember a moment when he wasn't in my head exactly what everyone thought a Christian would be. And I'm like, but you didn't, you didn't actually come to faith until like, like your mid-40s. You've gone to church your entire life. And that, that blew my mind at the time. Because as a kid growing up, like, I would have said, of course, Dad. Like, look at him. Like, he's... He's the one who counts the money afterwards. He does the books for them. He's at all of the church meetings. He's at all the working bees. He's at everything. He's a, he's a Christian. Look. But there was a reality that he himself realised that he hadn't actually had a changed heart. He'd, he'd done everything to the outward appearance that made him look exactly like what a Christian would be. But yet he hadn't taken that most important step. He hadn't taken on the faith of the Canaanite woman who just has a heart to want to know God more and want to have God in her life. Which leads me to my, my, my final point, which is that assumptions are often a fatal experience, aren't they? You know, um, Assumptions cannot be trusted. What we actually have in this story is a story about assumptions. Um, there's a bunch of assumptions made about the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're saying, we are more godly than you. You don't even do the ceremonial washings. And everyone who's there would have an assumption about them and their faith and where they're at. And then you have the Canaanite woman, and there's a bunch of assumptions about her. Ugh, this beggar Canaanite woman from these Gentile people. Look at that Canaanite dog. You know, that's the assumption made about who she is. And at the end of the day, Jesus flips the reality about what these assumptions are on both sets of people. You know, we make assumptions about people all the time based on a whole range of things, doesn't it? If you meet someone for the first time, you're going to ask them a few sort of questions to help you make some basic assumptions about who they are, like um, what they do for a job or where they live or what their interests are or what uni they went to or whatever it is. And the sort of answers you get will help you make some basic assumptions about who that person is. You know, you might make assumptions about people um, based on how they look, the clothes they wear, if they've got tattoos or if they don't, or if they drive a car or if they ride a Harley or, you know, or how they smell. You know, these are, we make assumptions about people, about all these sorts of things, because we live in this ordered society. We've got kind of this mould, which we kind of assume most people are going to fit into, and those who don't fit into that mould, sometimes we don't know how to interact with them, right? 
and feel a bit awkward or a bit uncomfortable around them. But there's a million and one reasons why assumptions are not a helpful thing to make because most of the time, or often at least, they're wrong, aren't they? Uh, there was a story about um, this lecturer and preacher, a guy called Reverend Dr. Swindle, and um, he was a theologian, he was a keynote speaker, and one day he was at this huge conference, um, and as he gets up to give his first uh, talk, he, halfway through, he notices this guy smack bang in the middle front, he's like dead asleep. He's like, oh man, he's like, okay. Anyway, next, next, uh, next session he comes out, the guy's there again, almost nods off immediately. Third time, before he even starts talking, he's asleep. And he goes and he talks to the, to the organisers. He's like, can you guys do something about this guy? It's putting me off. Like, the first thing I see is this guy, like, you know, like mouth open, snoring in the centre row. Anyway, after, after it was all said and done, um, this lady came up to him and said, oh, look, thank you for your, for your talk. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, they were really great, really powerful. Look, I want to apologise to my husband. He's just been diagnosed with cancer and this medication just makes him so drowsy. But he just, I said we shouldn't come, but he just said he didn't want to miss it and he had to be here. And then, of course, Reverend Dr Chuck Swindon walked away feeling about two inches tall after that. But assumptions that we make about people so often set us in the wrong direction and help us to not really know the truth about people at all. Um, uh, a, a guy I used to work with, um, he used to be the minister at Bondi Mission. This is the only picture I could find. That's Google Images. There's Bondi Mission. Um, it's right down near the beach, um, and it's this uh, little church that kind of works, does a lot of um, work with homeless people. This Bondi has quite a, a significant um, population of homeless people. Um, anyway, one of the first days um, he came to church and it was meeting the people at church, this, this guy came up to him um, that was just really... Um, kind of took him back. He's this huge, big Islander guy and he was dressed really shabbily um, and he was really kind of gregarious and in your face. You know those kind of people who you just end up kind of constantly walking backwards from in a conversation until you're in the corner of the room there's nowhere to go? And I was like that and he kind of, and he smelt and it was just like, and he was just thinking to himself, what have I got myself into? Anyway, we'll call that guy Tony. So that was the first time he met Tony. Um... Uh, but then as the months and the weeks and the years rolled on, he realised, oh, actually, Tony is like the, the cornerstone of this congregation. Like, without Tony, we would struggle. Because Tony was the guy, every day, no matter who came in that door, hey, how you going? Walks up, chats to you, has a big smile on his face. Um, he was the guy who was perfect doing some of this work with homeless guys. Because they, don't, they didn't see Tony and think, oh, who's this, you know... Bondi yuppie, they saw Tony and was like, that's someone I can have a chat to. And, and the point was, put this, the, the minister's first assumption of this guy was, oh man, this is going to be rough working with this guy, when he realised, oh, actually, this is the most important person in the church, like more important than me, because the ministry he has is kind of more powerful than what I'm doing, because he has an ability to connect to people in a way that I never can. Sometimes the people who you think are the wrong people to do the work of God, to do the work of the kingdom, are actually the exact right people. Sometimes the people who look outwardly like they're all wrong for, all the, for whatever the reasons are. Their life's a mess, um, you know, th- things aren't, aren't going right, they're, they're just all over the place. But yet, they're the people that God has intentionally picked out for a particular ministry. And often, 
those people who you think are wrong for that ministry are the people that have the most powerful ministry in those different spots. Because what makes a person uh, a believer, what makes them a person of faith, isn't their outward appearance. It's not how much they give or the mission trips they've been on. It's not how much they have their life together or how much their life is a mess or how much they perfectly fit the mould. But it's where their heart is at with Jesus, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying to the crowd that day. He says, look at those around you. Look at those who you think are the good Jewish people. Look at those who you think are those who are close to God. But then look again, because what I see is totally different. You look and you see the outward. You see the clothes. You see the the skin and the hair and the flesh. He says, what I see when I look out there is I see the heart. That's what I see. The rest is irrelevant. The outward appearance means nothing. The uh, most important is uh, what is inside. Uh, And what he's saying is he's saying some of those who you think who are in are actually out. And some of those who you think are out are actually in. And I think that is so true of us sometimes uh, in church uh, and in our modern life that you see someone who doesn't fit the mould, who's a bit rough, who smokes or who drinks or who swears like a sailor or whose home life is just messy uh, you know, they're not married or they're divorced or they're de facto or they hang out with the wrong crowds, they struggle with addiction, whatever it is, and you think to yourself, man, they can't be a Christian. <laughs> they can't. Look at them, mate. They can't be a person of real faith. I mean, just look how messy it is. Look how messy their lives is. But it seems to me that what Jesus is saying here is that his, uh, his uh, evaluation of people His priority system is totally different to ours. He isn't interested in the religious and the pious, but he's interested in those who have a genuine change of heart, those who come to God grounded in love and mercy and with a faith that is far bigger than the outward things, far bigger than the things that we do. Can I invite the band up? Um, I might just pray, that's right, Rick, Um, and then we'll stand, we'll sing our final song together. Uh, Dear Lord, we just thank you. Yeah, we just thank you for the fact, Lord, that you call all of us in our brokenness. You call us um, whether we have life together, whether it's all going according to plan, or Lord, you call us whether um, we've got nothing going to plan, Lord, and everything's just happening as it does. Lord, we just thank you that in that great diversity, what you truly seek is for us to come with a changed heart, Lord. For us to come to know you, for us to come to uh, recognise your love and your goodness to us and for us to express that to those around us. For that to pour out of our hearts through our mouths, through our words, through our actions, our deeds and the way we interact with others. Lord, I pray as we head out, you'll help us to have faith that is like the Canaanite woman. A faith that is humble, a faith that is seeking you, a faith that wants to know more of who you are and to have you more in our lives, Lord. A faith that would have us um, on, our, on our hands and knees in front of a whole crowd, Lord, if it means we get to, 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 to come and see you, if it means we get to be with you. 
Lord, I just pray that we might uh, leave here today and just meditate on that a bit more, what it means to have a faith like the Canaanite woman. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to work that truth in our hearts this week. Lord, just thank you for this. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's stand. Sing our final song together.